Father, I pray the reality of that word, of that song, Lord, it would be a, Lord, not just a song we sing when we gather, but Lord, I, I pray it would become a lifestyle we live out of God. God, I, I God, we just worship you. I just thank you for your presence that's filling this house even now. We just worship you, God. God, we, we honor your presence. That's just, Holy Spirit, you're moving right now. God, I pray as we minister, whether it's me or Lee or whoever it is, Lord, I, I pray that the words we release, God, it won't just be a sermon we release to our body, but God, it'll be a a word that will empower people to live in a place they haven't lived before God. God, I want, I want to see it be on earth as in heaven. I want to see the reality, God, of your kingdom crash in to this place. I want to see the beautiful chaos of when your kingdom meets this realm and the two collide and the kingdom just begins to transform everything and everyone around it, God. You will be forever praised because there is no one like you. You are infinitely eternal, holy, and righteous. And you love us with an everlasting love. So God, all I can ever do is love you in return. (laughs) You're so good. You're so good. Your presence is so amazing. God, your presence is so life-changing. God, thank you. Jesus, thank you that you took your own blood and you went into the most holy place and you tore the veil down and you poured your own blood on that mercy seat and therefore you gave us eternal right to encounter the face of God. God, we take it for granted so much. We're so full of... God, I don't want to be lazy. I don't want to be disgraceful. Jesus, you gave your life. You gave life so I could have life. God, I pray that would become so real in our hearts. That, Lord, you gave your life so that you could give us life. Oh, you're so good. You're so good. Oh, you're so good. There's no one like you. God, there's nothing like being able to just sit and enjoy your presence just to soak in your presence. Oh, Father. (laughs) Yeah, you're so good. God, why don't you just begin to tell me your own words how good he is to you? Why don't you just begin to lift up your voice and not care who's around you or who may hear you? Because, guys, right now it's just an audience of one, and he's the audience. Yeah, you're so good. 
God, let us have a heart like David that we can be foolish before you. I'll be foolish before you, God. Because the opinions of men don't matter. They don't care. The opinions of men just doesn't even count in comparison to catching your beauty and your glory, God. Oh, guys, I'm telling you, we're in a divine moment where the glory of God is filling this place. Oh, I'm just not going to rush this, guys. It's not going to rush this. Oh, you're so good. You're so good. Nate, just uh, play that again if you can, Nate. You might have to retype in the, the song, it's um, Ever Be by Bethel, but if you have just. God, we love you. We're just desperate, and God, we're hungry for you, not man's religion. God, we're hungry for an ultimate, life-changing relationship with you.
something about setting and just soaking in the presence of God. So don't feel like you got to rush because I'm going to start. Father, I pray just today for the spirit of wisdom to be released, spirit of revelation, God. Lord, I, I pray you would just open our hearts up today. God, just let us receive all you have. Daddy, you're so good. Man, what if we got the revelation, Daddy, of how good you really are? God, even in the Old Testament, you said, you said, I'm exceedingly good. You've revealed yourself in the Oak Hellnet as an exceedingly good God. You're so good. And we love you. In Jesus' name. Uh, Psalms 22. Um, you know, honestly, guys, one of the greatest things I've ever gotten in my life, one of the greatest revelations I've ever got, was at the end of the day, my greatest call in life is to be a worshiper. That's really why I was created. Because when I die and I'm in heaven, I will be a worshiper there. And as great as we can do things in the kingdom, whether we have callings in ministry or we go over to seas, whatever we may do in the kingdom, at the end of the day, your greatest assignment in life is to be that of a worshiper. And the great privilege it is. Um, Psalms 22, and I've been talking about this verse, one of the words in this verse. Yet you are holy, O ye who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. And that word enthroned is a really unique word, and uh, it means to sit down, it means to dwell, to remain. I've been talking the past week or so, two weeks, about creating a place where God comes in, he sits down among us. And we talked a little bit last week at the beginning about the difference between the abiding presence and the manifest presence of God, and how that every believer in, has within them the abiding presence, but how in my own life, I've been jealous, and Nate, can you get me down just a bit, channel five, I've been jealous for that place where God comes in the room. Acts 5, Peter would walk down the street, and his shadow would fall on people, and they would find healing. Peter carried something on his life that wasn't just the abiding presence within him, but he had cultivated a relationship with, with God so much that he became the carrier of that glory. And it's a privilege for you and me to become a people who don't just live out of a moment of the abiding presence, but we actually cultivate uh, with God a history that causes him to come into the place we are, and he begins to change the atmosphere. Yeah. You know, Bill Johnson says this. He says, um, what overshadows you will be in your shadow. What overshadows you will be in your shadow. Psalms 91, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. God wants us to become a people who, when we walk, we release the very essence and nature of God wherever we go. It is really Matthew 10, preach the kingdom is at hand. In other words, make the reality of the kingdom real in where you are today. Not just good theory, not just good hermeneutics, but an actual encounter for people to, to encounter the kingdom. I want to tell you, Tuesday I went to the gas station, the gas station that has really good chicken fingers. Some of my gas stations and food that have good chicken fingers. I don't know what it is, but it's just, it's God. It, it's, it's just God. And she thinks, my wife's like, why do you go to the gas station to get food? Because they have good food. I don't know what it is. 
But I'm in there, and the, the Lord just says, the woman serving you is sick. I'm like, uh, okay. And I just, you kind of wait. It's like, is this me? Is this God? Is it me? Is God? And I just, I just went for it. I said, I feel like you have sickness in your body. Because I have stage four ovarian cancer. So we had to pray for right there. Don't know what's happened since then. But here's something I want to say to us. And I want to say this in utmost respect and truth. But I want you to hear my heart, guys. And we're going to get to the sermon, I promise. I don't want to encounter people and disobey the Holy Spirit. And they die and go to hell. And the blood be on me. Because why I can't save you. Paul is very clear, one sows, one reaps, or one sows, one reaps, but God gives increase. In other words, I want to make sure that I give people every chance who the Holy Spirit says, give the gospel, they get the gospel. Because I don't want to have the fear of knowing that the Holy Spirit says, pray for her, she's sick, and I don't do it because I'm afraid, and a woman dies of cancer, and she winds up in hell. Because my pride, or my fear of man, kept me from being a vessel to see the kingdom released and break cancer off her body and see her live and see her kids and her grandkids. Amen, Paul. Let's get a preacher on there, Paul. But I think of this word here that God is enthroned in the praises of his people. So in the place of praise, we create a place, just like a while ago, where God, it's amazing, God is here now but yet he comes. It's the, it's the tension of the kingdom. You know, the kingdom is full of tension. And one of the tensions in the kingdom is God's here in you and in you and in you and in you and you. But yet he comes as his people begin to lift up a praise to him. His presence begins to fill the atmosphere and things begin to change. And that's the place in my life, guys, I'm going after. So on last night, I drove two hours to Aniston. Because I knew that God was going to be there. And I've just learned, we're going to talk about this next week. The greatest place of transformation comes for just abiding in change. You take a cucumber and you put it in a liquid, you get a pickle out. What happens? That cucumber just begins to soak in a solution that changed its entire nature. You take a tree that's falling into the river, and over the years that tree will become petrified. Because that stone, why? Because that tree has been soaking in that water for years and years, and the sediments has went in it. When we learn to just learn how to sit and abide in that place where God comes, true transformation comes out of that place. That's why in my life, it's God I want to make a place for you to come. Amen? When we were praying last week at 5 a.m. prayer, which is really good, uh, and I wish Justin was here to hear this, but we was praying and the Lord just began to speak to me about, about worship in this house. And one of the things that he really wants to establish is a culture of worship. And guys, you did great today, by the way, Courtney and, and Cindy Lauper, one of the. <laughs> but as, as I was praying, it's like the Lord just began to speak how that one of our weapons of warfare in this house would be through Praise. And I don't, I'm not using the text today because I want to I want to say a point about worship and presence. But 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat has a word from the Lord about going into battle, and his weapon was praise. 
and how as they began to praise, the three enemies that came against them turned on each other and killed each other. And our greatest warfare or weapon in this house is a place of praise. Where we, we praise not um, for victory, but from victory. We don't praise trying to defeat the devil because he's already been defeated. We're just simply enforcing the victory of heaven. It's like a, it's like, it's like a criminal. The law states don't do that, but yet the criminal was going to break the law. So even though Jesus has ultimately defeated the devil, he still is going to come again and again and again. What do we do? So we simply begin through praise, begin to enforce the victory that heaven has released to us. But then the other thing I saw was this. As I was, as I was seeing this, I saw a picture and I saw a strong code in the region. And it was really unique how I saw it, and I'm not even going to try to explain what I saw. But I saw as praise was being released, the praise began to chip away at the strong code until it was no more. So we have a great assignment to release this place of praise in the stronghold. But what I want to do this morning is I want to start, I want to give you, uh, I want to give you the seven definitions for praise. There's actually seven different Hebrew words for praise. And the reason it's important because, you know, you read your Bible and you say praise, praise, praise. But what does that look like? Because in our English language, you know, we have one word for love, one word for praise, one word for this. Hebrew or Greek, two words for love. Praise, actually, there's actually 10 different words for praise. So what does it look like? And I want to give you these seven terms, and we'll go on. And I'm not going to try to pronounce these in my Alabama accent. So they're on the screen for you. But the first one is, well, I'm not going to say what it means, yada. And this means to use the hands or to revere and worship with the extended hands. In Genesis 25, I want to give you a scripture with each one of these words. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. So this is hands being held up high. Therefore, she named him Judah that she stopped bearing. You know, the Bible says in Timothy that we're to lift up holy hands before the Lord. Why? Because the hands are righteousness. Your hands are hands of warfare. And through praise, you see that victory of heaven released. The second word, navah. It means to rest. Uh, Exodus 15, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will extol him. So in the place of, uh, in the place of, of God's strength and his song, that becomes our rest. So, so actually, there's actually a place in praise of resting and soaking. I have learned to really enjoy the place of soaking where there are times I will definitely use words pray in English, pray in tongues but there's just sometimes where the best I can do is get in my lazy boy recliner in my study, kick it full out lay back with earbuds in or music blaring and like a sponge I just simply receive one thing Pentecostals are really bad at is we don't know how to keep our mouth shut I'm serious what do I mean by that? I can pray for people. Just I, hundreds of times, pray for people. Just sit there and receive. Don't say nothing. And they want da 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 da. I'm like, just shut up. Just be a sponge and receive. That at times, not always, can actually be a hindrance to what God wants to do, because you're trying to help God out when God says, just receive. Place of rest. The third word here is a celebration 
of thanksgiving for the harvest. So actually, there's even specific kinds of praise that people would do. But in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy and offering a praise to the Lord. So this was a specific praise during their harvest that Israel would give to God. The fourth word, it means to touch the strings or parts of a musical instrument. Judges 5, hear, O kings, give ear, O rulers, I, to the Lord, I will sing, I will sing, praise the Lord. So this is praise with instruments. The fifth word, uh, to address in a loud tone. God, we worship you. We praise you. So it's not just my hands being up, but actually, it's actually a cry out of my heart that in, in a loud tone I begin to give reverence. It's a shout to God is what it is. Man, you know, I begin to look at these this way. I'm thinking, my goodness, man, the different ways you can actually praise God. Uh, the, sixth, the sixth thought, or the sixth word here, it means to germinate or to bring forth fruit. Isaiah 57, creating the praises of lips, or the praise of lips, peace, peace to him who is far, and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. And, and even um, Hebrews talks about offering the fruit of our lips, the praises of our lips. So out of the place of praise, there's actually a creation. You know, that's actually biblical, by the way. Death and life in the power of the tongue. Your praise actually can cause a creation of the reality you want to see in your life. Now, I don't mean billion dollars, but scripture, health, healing, deliverance, freedom from addiction, all the promises of God, when we begin to align our words with his heart, through a place of praise, we can actually begin to see these things begin to manifest in our heart and life. And the last one, and this is actually the word used in our text about God inhabits the praises of his people. And it means to be clear, to shine, to make a, to make a show, to be foolish, to celebrate. <laughs> I want to be that person. I want to be that person that I am so foolish in my worship. That I am so free in my worship. That honestly, when I'm in a place, it's just me and God. Because can I tell you guys, I, I want to be free. I'm just not free like I want to be. I'm just going to be honest with you today. It's like last night we were at Deeper Life, and you remember my buddy Byron I brought up at the worship night, the real radical guy? It's like, God, I want to be like Byron. I mean, I want to dance. And I'm white, and I cannot dance. You know, it's like American Idol, those people who think they can sing, but they really can't sing. It's like, I know I can't dance, and that's why I don't dance. But inside, I want, to, like, I want to dance. I mean, I want to cut a rug, baby. But somehow, I have to get past the fear of man and what man may think about me. Because at the end of the day, it's the heart of God that he wants to manifest through me for him. What, what would really happen if everybody in this place, and let's just be honest, we all have fears at some level. What would happen if everybody under my voice got so free of the fear of man? especially in worship, where we acted a fool for Jesus, what would happen? Now we can say, well, you know, I don't dance. Well, I'm old. Well, that's just not identified. I'm thinking, God, I want to be set free from everything I've been taught about that and be like David. And we'll look at David later on, but man, 
the foolishness of David to be so free in worship. And I think that freedom, guys, only comes, or that freedom is in proportion to the revelation we have in worship of who he is. When I look at my friend Byron, I said, that dude's got a revelation of worship because that dude is so free. Well, that's not so different. It's like, yeah, I'm going to get up here by my I'm just going to start jumping. And Roger's like, are you jumping? I'm like, yeah, and the fat's going up and down. When you, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is, guys. But you know what? It's like, I don't care. I don't care when God comes into place. Because in that moment, I'm changed. In that moment, he really does something in me of such eternal value that how it may look to you doesn't matter anymore because something I'm lacking has now been given to me. And I'm so grateful. And Penelope, I don't know why, but I just kept thinking of you today. And I don't know what this word is for you, Penelope, but I just keep seeing like this river in you. And there's this river that God wants to just break open in your life and release into you. And I think it's twofold. Number one, it's for you first. Just the real healing in your own. I'm going to say this. And if I'm wrong, you know what? You just got to go for it, guys. Please just in your, your own heart. Just some things in your heart that God wants to resolve for you and heal for you. But also, Penelope, just the grace to minister to people in the body with the river of God, the life of God. So I just bless the river that's in you now, and I pray for grace to just see it released in full function and power of God, and that the devil's like, good God, I got another one to deal with now. So I just bless it on you. But, you know, when you think of, of praise and worship, you know, being Baptist, here's what praise and worship was. Praise was the first two fast songs, and worship was the next two slow songs. In reality, most churches, when you say praise and worship, praise is fast and worship slow. And in reality, one, one, there are different words. You know, again, you have seven Hebrew words for praise. You actually have four for worship. And just in the, you don't get in the New Testament yet. Yet, they're really one and the same. And here's, I think, one of the best knowledge I can give about praise and worship. It's like water. Water and ice and vapor is all H2O, but it's different components. One's at a gas, one's above 32 degrees Fahrenheit, one's below. And so while it's the same makeup, the purpose is differently. I don't take ice and put it in my bathtub because I, I don't want a cold tub. I take ice and put it in my nice sweet tea when I'm cutting grass this summer because I want nice cold sweet tea. And so we have to understand what praise and worship is. It's, it's the same, but it's different. But it's, we have to shift from thought, ah, oh, fast songs, that's praise. Because I want to tell you this, praise is just as powerful as worship is. Praise, and actually, you know what I did? I, I, I just was like, who can I call to get some insight about praise and worship? And so I, I called my friend Eddie Thomas from Deeper Life. And I said, Eddie, you're a worship leader who you are just anointed to worship. I said, give me your insight about this Lord Paul here, he goes, he goes and I want, I want to hear what Eddie told me, and I thought this was really good. I said, Eddie, define for me how the, they're same but different. He goes, Paul, let me tell you what I think, what the Lord's really shown me. He says, in praise, there's a grace released for breakthrough. Lift up a shout. You ever been in service and it's like, 
lift up a shout, lift up a praise, lift up a clap. What happens? There's a grace being released in that moment of praise to bring breakthrough into what's going on in the room. Okay? That to me is what praise is. It's about, it's not so much being loud, but it's about, it's, it's about grace being released to bring breakthrough into a, a situation. But in worship, and I thought this was a really good definition of worship, what he said. He said, in worship, we discover who God is, and therefore, we discover who we are in him. It's the beauty of being still, because in that moment, it's like when I was praying a while ago, and I just began to cry. It's like I was in this place of worship. Even though I was praying, it was a place of worship. And I began to just pray about who he was, and, and as I was praying that, I began to realize who I was in him again, and the tears began to come. Because he's revealing his heart in, for me about who I am in him. And I want to I establish this thought as we keep going with this truth. And here's a really truth I want to get a hold of. Is that true worship, guys, it involves a cost. It, true worship will really involve a cost. And I got this scripture on the screen, 2 Samuel. So Gad came to David that day and said to him, go up, erect an altar to the Lord. Let me back, let me stop. Um, David has counted the men. And because David has counted the men, God has brought a plague against Israel. And so um, David has had three choices how to stop the plague, and here's what he's doing now. Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor over Runa, the Jebusite, David went up according to the word of God, just as the Lord commanded. And Aruna looked down and saw the king and his servants crossing over towards him. And Aruna went out and bowed his face to the ground before the king. Then Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be held back from the people. Aruna said to David, Let my lord the king Take and offer what is good in his sight. Let the oxen for the burnt offering, the threshing sledges, and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. Everything, O king Aruna, give to the king. And Aruna said to the king, May the Lord God accept you. However, the king said to Aruna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, for I will not offer burnt offering to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. David had a chance to take a whole piece of land for free. And David says, I will not give God anything that doesn't cost me something. I'm telling you, when you have real worship, it will cost you. It will cost you your pride, your ego. It will cost you the fear of man. There are so many things that will cost you to say, will I let this situation pass me by because I don't want to pay the price, or will I pay the price and let go of all this fear I have to encounter a place in you I have not been yet before. That's, again, that's why I am. I want to be foolish. We should change the, we should change the name to, from freedom point to foolish point. Because we're just foolish for the kingdom. Foolish. So foolish for you, God. So David brought, brought the fleshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Thus the Lord was moved by prayer for the land and the plague was held from Israel. There's another scripture I wanted to look at as well about the same point. Luke chapter 7. And there was a woman in a city who was a sinner. And when she had learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet 
weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she kept wiping them with her hair of her head, and she kept kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Two thoughts I want to bring here. Number one is this. I've been to Israel. It's a really dusty place. Can you imagine Jesus walking through the streets of the cities and all the dirt and the cow feces and goats? And he comes in this house, and his feet are... I'm sorry, Jesus, but I, I bet your feet stunk. I'm just, I'm just saying. And this woman begins to wipe feet with her hair. All this stinky stuff that was probably on the feet. But the other thing that's amazing here is not only that the fact that she would wipe his feet with her hair. Paul actually says in the book of Corinthians that a woman's hair is her glory. And here's what I want you to capture. She was the one to lay aside her glory to capture his glory. She took the very thing, Paul said, a woman's hair is her glory. And she took the glory of her hair and began to wash his feet. And guys, when we learn to exchange what we think is our glory, we'll then capture his glory. Let's get preaching, Paul. Let's get preaching. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Pursuit of God, said this. He said, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And worship, really, along with the word and prayer, is really how we pursue God's presence. John 4, 23. But an hour is coming, and now is when the true worship, and notice this, the true worshipers. In other words, there's a way to worship that's not the correct way. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. And that word worship, um, proskene, and it means to kiss is what it means. So worship is because the place where we learn to kiss the face of God. But then he says he's looking for worshipers to worship in spirit and in truth. Now, in the Baptist church, here's what that meant. In spirit and in truth. And that's not what it means. The word truth there, when you, you have to really dig into this word to get the reality of this word. And this word truth here means a spiritual reality. So God is looking for people who worship him in a spiritual reality is what it means. In other words, it's not just I'm worshiping God. Oh, praise God. But in my place of worship, I begin to enter into a reality in the spirit realm with him. Now, that's, that's kind of heavy right there. What happens when the kingdom comes, there becomes a place of, who knows what it might be, dreams, visions, prophetic ministry, but there's a, there's a reality, a spiritual reality that we need to enter into in worship. Where it's not, I just, I'm aware of my five, six, and three dimensions, but I actually begin to capture his heart. And I go into a place that I haven't been yet. I'm not saying I'm picking out of the room but I'm saying I'm aware of things going on outside the room. There's a, there's a diving into a place in the spirit. Just like at prayer last week. We got music going. And I mean, I just going to see this stuff. What happens? I'm going to this reality of what God wants to release and worship in the house. So my prayer is being, God, let me be one who worships from a spiritual reality. Where, I, the, where the reality of your kingdom comes. You know what I'm saying? It's not just... Not just here, but the reality of your kingdom comes. 
Another thought is this from Tozer's book on the pursuit of God. Augustine said this. He said, you have formed us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in you. Our hearts are restless till they find rest in you. I've learned when I had that two-year window of encounters with God, the importance of learning to rest, because there I found rest. There you found peace and safety and security. Those two years were such pivotal, mode-shaping times in my life where there were times, as I said last week, where it would be a night for two years solid from seven, from anywhere to 11 to one two in the morning where I just stayed in the Word. But I also learned the importance of staying in worship. And what I would find, and you know, I used to have this, um, I was a big Benny Hinn fan. And Benny Hinn had this healing CD. And he had these two or three songs by different artists. And I played them the other day. I'm thinking, I can't play that. That just sounds so old school. I won't go there because you'll laugh at me if I played it. But I remember playing these songs, and I would just, tears would be coming to my face. It's like, uh, I can't remember who sung it now. It wasn't Benny, it wasn't Benny Hinn. goes, God help that man's voice. And just, Holy Spirit, it wasn't that stuff. But I would just sit there for hours on end, and this song would be on repeat on my CD player. And I would just be like, God, I worship you. I worship you. What, what happened? I was creating a place for God to come. And I didn't know then what I know now. But I realized that then I was, I was creating an atmosphere for God to come in the room. And, you know, I, I found out later on, that was in 97 to 99, 2000. I found out later on, years later, I never told this part of the story, but when I first got spirit-filled, my mom said, that boy needs help, that boy's got a devil, that boy needs to be delivered. You know, she's a Baptist, and only believe in deliverance. <laughs> That's like, really, Mom? But I found out later on, after my mom was spirit-filled, I found out when I would leave for work, my mom would go sit in my bedroom and go in there because you had created a place where the presence of God was at. And I knew the presence of God was there, but I became so accustomed to it that it's like second nature, if I can say it that way, without being disrespectful. But I thought, man, what a testimony to realize that through the place of praise and worship and just in the Word and just having your heart that hunger for God, you actually made a place for God to come. And that's the invitation to us all is that we actually, while we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, our actual homes where we live at becomes places where heaven invades. And when people come to our house and say, I don't know what it is about your house, but there is something in your house that is so peaceful. Yes, yeah, the Prince of God, he, he lives here. <laughs> His room's upstairs. And I say that jokingly, but I'm being serious. Well, we create such an atmosphere when loved ones or neighbors who fought the whole way to my house, they came in like, I don't know what it is, but man, I just feel peace. Yes, it's the presence of God. Let me introduce you to Jesus. He'll change you. And what, that comes, guys, just as I said, of laying down our lives and making the conscious decision, God, I'm going to worship you. Even now, it's like I can do it right now. I can just lay it all down and I turn my focus in here. Say, so God, I worship 
We don't need any music, don't need, don't care, because he's always worthy. And I learned to cultivate that. And I'm still learning the state of cultivating. And it was so precious Friday night. I'm in my study, and Adma comes in the bedroom. And I'm learning more and more with my son the influence I've had on his life. Now, Abner's a mama's boy, and I'm the same way. And I get it. I'll never get upset because Abner, he had to run by me and go to shut up Rachel. And I, I'm the same way. When I was a baby kid, my mom would leave and I would cry my eyes out. I was a mama's boy. So I'm to this day. Love my dad, but I'm a mama's boy. So I get Abner. But I'm in the room, and I'm playing that Bethel CD, and he gets on this bed of the study, and I just got my hands up. Just goofing off, and Adam goes, he goes, I said, praise Jesus. He goes, praise Jesus. And I said another thing, he began to emulate what I was saying. I thought, man, what a perfect time to mold for him the lifestyle of worship. Because his heart is so innocent right now. I can teach him in a young age the importance of Admiral. Your greatest calling in life, son, is to worship God. Say, Abner, he loves you. And Abner in the bed, he put my hands back and he'll just smile. And he starts grabbing my books. Like, I've got all, all these books. And he'll grab them. And he'll just start reading his books. I'm like, yeah, buddy, that's good. I love it that my son's picking up books of deep spiritual insight. I want my son to have a normal, natural life. I want my son to play football and Baseball and go be a linebacker for Nick Saban and Alabama and win four national championships. Amen, Ken. Just kidding about that. But I want him to live such a normal life. But in that normality of life, the reality that he carries the presence of God. And that at his young age, he can tap in and capture the heart of God and blow me away in what I do in the kingdom. So for me, it's even now, not just watching what I don't do, but what I do do in front of him. Where I am, that model. Like, okay, that's how daddy does it. Well, he sees daddy, hands held up high. He sees daddy dancing. Why? Because I want to emulate for my son that if daddy does it, son, you can do it. Guys, what would happen if we did our whole homes that way? Especially those with young kids. So free. Oh, the clock. Oh, yeah, you know what's really funny last night? I'm glad you said that, Rachel. I've been to Deeper Life preaching six times in the past two years. And when you go to Deeper Life, there's always a clock sitting right here on this wall. It's always on the ground. And Abner has never once in the times... And he'll get on stage and he'll run around because he loves to see everything the guitar. And I'm glad you said this because it's really important. Last night, Admiral comes in and he grabs that clock. And I'm like, put it down. And he'll leave and he comes out and he goes right to the clock. Like five times. And last night, Ruth kept talking about prophetic timing and knowing the timing of God. I thought, how prophetic is it? My son, who for two years has been in this place, has seen the clock and has never went to it. And that night, last night, he kept going to that clock because he knew it was the timing of the Lord. I'm telling you, my son's two and a half. I'm telling you, his spirit is alive. And they can be trained and equipped. When he gets ready to get saved, we're going to be there 
giving him the gospel. And then praying for him to be baptized as a young kid with a fiery impartation of the Holy Spirit. Why? So my kid can play football and baseball and when somebody breaks their knee playing football. Oh, let me fix that for you right quick. Be healed. Then go rot that dude out again. And that comes. One of the best things I can do for my son is show my son how to worship. So I do every Sunday. We get up and he has this cartoon zone. And I'll take my iPhone and my Vizio TV because they're synced together. And I'll cut it on YouTube for my iPhone and we'll put it on some Bethel music. I'm like, Dad, let's dance. And he'll, I'm emulating for him the importance of learning to worship at a young age. Let me just give you three thoughts and we'll be done. I hope this has helped. I hope I haven't rambled. Let me give you three thoughts. What a heart of a worshiper looks like. Number one, it's a person who can't live without their presence. And for time's sake, I'm not going to read these, these scriptures. But the, the first one we have here is a story of, of a David going to get the ark. You know, what's important here is this, is that the Bible says in the book of Chronicles that Saul had never sought the ark of God. Saul reigned for 40 years. And after the ark was taken, after they lost to the Philistines, Saul never inquired of the ark. In other words, Saul reigned apart from the presence of God. He never pursued the presence. And David said, it's time we bring the presence back into the nation of Israel. And so what happens in the story is this, and i got to divide it up, is that they have went and they have got a new cart. And they went to the house of Abinadab, I believe it is, to get the ark. And as they're coming back into Jerusalem, the oxen begins to stumble. And the ark, uh, Uzzah, takes his hand and he puts his hand on the ark and he dies. And David is fearful and they take the ark and they take it to the house of Obed-Edom. Now, we have to understand this. Why, why did God get angry? Why did God strike him down? Because here's the question, here's the answer. The command was that the Levites were to carry the ark on the poles. That was what he's around. God's anger came out because they didn't bring in the prince the correct way. There's a correct way to bring the prince in. And it's not on a new court. It's through holiness and righteousness and praise and worship from a pure heart. So David leaves the ark at Obed-Edom's house. And then he finds out, you can go to the next slide, Nate. Yeah, you can keep going, man. One more slide. So they, if they want to read the scriptures. But then he finds out that the house of Obed Edom has been blessed. And what does he do? Let's just read this. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed Edom and all that belongs to him. And on account of the ark of God, David went up and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed Edom into the city of David with lions. And so it was that with the bearers of the ark, the Lord had gone six paces. He sacrificed an ox and a family. Well, let's stop. Every six steps, David stopped and he sacrificed an animal. That took a long time to get from Obed's house. Every six steps. Good God Almighty. Imagine all the animals they got. I mean, that's a lot of cattle you got with you, man. That's some good barbecue going on there, buddy. I'm telling you. Every six paces he stopped. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. In other words, David didn't get zapped by Holy Spirit to dance. David danced with all his might. David made a conscious decision to dance before God. Just a little thought there. 
And David was one of the linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sounds of the trumpet. Number two, second point I want to bring out here. Number two, they're not persuaded by the opinions of other people. The story continues is that when David comes to the city, David's wife, Michael, sees him. And Michael is the daughter of King Saul. And if you read on down a little bit, um, but when David returned to the blessed his house, so kind of halfway down, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel distinguished himself today. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servants. Basically, when he was in his linen ephod, he was in his underwear. He was in his underwear. Pretty much what it was. He was he had taken off his kingly robe. He was really nothing on, just a, a linen ephod. In other words, David would live, David, this is beautiful. The king laid aside his kingship because at the end of the day he was a worshiper at heart. He didn't let his position keep him from worshiping who was created to worship. I can't let my position as a this or that keep me from worshiping who he is. So David said to Michael, it was um, back up, how the king of Israel distinguished himself today. He encouraged himself today in the eyes of his servants. Maze is one of the foolish ones, shameless, and encouraged himself. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father. Ouch. And he just burnt her right there. And above all his house to appoint me a ruler over the people of the Lord of Israel, over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will be more lightly esteemed than this, and I will be humble in my own eyes. But with the maids of whom you have spoken, with them I will be distinguished. Now notice this. Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. In other words, when you don't have worship, you don't have life. Because when you read 1 Samuel, Hannah's heart is to have a child, and Hannah's barren. And we find that Hannah goes to the temple and prays. And then she enters into worship. And we find out later on that same time she conceives and has a son. So worship has a place to open up what's dead in your life. But when you refuse to worship, it would actually close off life from you. That's why worship is so important, guys. It literally is life and death, spiritually speaking. Third point will be done. They maintain a place of brokenness through worship and therefore become a vessel of outpouring. Now, two passages I want to look at right here, and I'll just, again, rehearse these. Isaiah 6. Isaiah is in a vision in the temple, and he has this encounter with the presence of God, and it's filling the whole house, and the house is shaking. And there's the, the seraphim there flying around, and they're crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And Isaiah, in this vision in the temple, is in this place of brokenness. He sees his sin. He is, he's broken beyond measure. And I want to stop and say this. Brokenness is a good thing. And I don't mean just broken over your sin. I've learned that one of the best ways to maintain personal revival, I'm trying to think who said this. He said, but one of the best ways to maintain personal revival is to live a life of brokenness. Not because you remain in sin. But it's like, well, I'll go. I begin to cry. What happens? Daddy comes in. I'm broken. Because I'm his son and he's my daddy. But he comes in the room and, man, I just, it breaks me. Because a holy, righteous, infinite, eternal God comes in with man. 
And even though I know I'm in right standing and there's nothing in my heart between me and him, it's still the thought of like, oh, this just does something in me. And there, Isaiah is broken over sin. But I want you to catch this picture here. But then when you read Ezekiel 47, Ezekiel 47 is another vision in the temple. And this time, this vision is talking about, talking about water coming out from under the temple. And this water went out into the city. And this water became, went from water in the ankles to the knees to the waist of water you had to swim in. And I want you to catch the picture here of how they, they correlate. When you have personal brokenness in your heart continuously, it releases the river of God out of your life. Because that water brought healing to the nations. That's why brokenness is beautiful. Because when I remain broken, it keeps the water in me because I'm the temple. Where the water came out from the temple, you're the temple, John 7, give us rivers of living water out of our bellies. Where the temple where the river of God comes out, and that's released through brokenness. That's why being broken, guys, is one of the best things. That's why, especially guys in here, you can't be macho, man. You don't need to be tough. You don't need to be distinguished. But bless God, my wife's here, so I just can't cry. <laughs> Bull crap. I cry a lot more than my wife does. Guys, especially the guys, what would happen if we really just was broken? And then it tried to be man's man. And we actually realized that while we're sons of God, we're also the bride of Christ. See, a lot of us can relate to God as his son or his daughter. But I'm telling you, what God wants to do is, especially the man of this house, he wants us to learn how to relate to him as his bride. Oh, man. That's a big difference. Because it's not like, daddy, daddy. It's like, I'm now with the lover of my soul. Now it's a place of intimacy where I am vulnerable. Make sense?